Hey everyone, welcome to the Making Do podcast. I am Emily Kerfinell, and this is a new podcast series with creative inspiration for makers growing businesses in lean times. A little background on the podcast. I'm the founder at Wholesale in a Box, a subscription service that helps makers get their handmade lines into brick and mortar stores. We're seeing firsthand how severely the stores and makers we serve have been affected by the pandemic, but we're also seeing incredible ingenuity, generosity, and innovation. We're seeing makers making do. So this podcast is an experiment. I want to share stories of the challenges makers are facing, as well as creative approaches they're experimenting with. Today, I'm talking to Lauren Taylor, a blogger, sewist, maker, and sewing instructor. Lauren is a Nashville-based sewist and maker, famous for her authentic style, prolific sewing, and making an impressive workshop track record. We get specific and honest about how Lauren's entire income was cut in half with coronavirus and the creative and simple projects she started to replace it. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for being here and talking to me today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really honored that you wanted to chat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's just start by um, hearing a little bit about you and your journey as a sewist and maker and teacher. Um, so I have always been a maker, like my entire life. I am 35 now. I've been sewing since I was like off and on since I was six. I learned how to use the sewing machine uh, really poorly when I was a teenager. And then when I was about 19 or 20, I think I was 20, I started, I like started making my own clothes and using patterns and um, almost entirely self-taught. Uh, definitely in the beginning, it was all self-taught. I've taken a couple like classes and courses since then to improve my skills, but um, mostly self-taught. Um, and I come from a f fairly artistic family. My parents don't necessarily do anything professionally in the arts, but they, there's always been like art and creativity around us growing up. Uh, we took like music lessons and art lessons and my mom sewed and my dad really liked to draw and he was a photographer. And so there was always that kind of atmosphere in my family. Um, although I will say that I am the most creative person in my family in terms <laughs> of making any type of art. My mm -hmm. siblings are all like really good at sports, <laughs> weirdly. Mm -hmm. And I was the one who could like draw and sew and like play piano and all that stuff. Um, so I've probably been making money in some shape or form through sewing since I was about 22, I would guess. Uh, it started out when... I was, I was in my early 20s and I lived in this really crappy apartment in what is now a very, very expensive part of Nashville, but at the time it wasn't. And I like was living paycheck to paycheck with a lot of credit card debt. And as an early 20 something, you know, I still wanted to go out to the bar and get drunk. So I would do alterations for people in exchange for like beer money. And so that was like mm. my 20 bucks a week that I would go spend at the bar was by hemming people's pants. Or I remember I had some, I would advertise on Craigslist regularly. And I got some really wacky clients that way, but I've also had like some really interesting <laughs> experiences through that. But I remember I had these, this one clients who owned a hostel and for like months and months, all they hired me to do was take flat bed sheets and sew the long edge and one of the short edges into like sleeping sacks. 
And it would, they would like bring like 40 over to my house and I would just sew and sew and sew and sew and sew. And then they, I don't even remember what they paid me. And then they'd bring like, you know, 30 more. And I made like hundreds of these little sleeping bags for their hostel. And, um, that, I think that's what actually got me really good at sewing in a straight line. I had a lot of practice. <laughs> so I did a lot of that. And then for a bit in my twenties, uh, I had a clothing line in Nashville. It was called Ladybird. And I sold that at a few different shops in Nashville and Murfreesboro. I participated in what used to be called Naked Without Us, but I think now it's actually Nashville Fashion Week. I did it before they brought the Fashion Week to Nashville. Um, so I did like runaway show and I've done those like, um, what do you call it? I can't think of the word. Like a like a maker's fair where you have a booth and sell your wares. So I did, did that for a little while. Um, and... Usually just use my sewing alterations for like bartering skills to try to like, or I would teach someone how to sew in exchange for something they had that I wanted, mm -hmm. um, which always worked out really well. And in the, that whole time frame, I was working in advertising for an ad agency here in Nashville. And after six and a half years, I left to work for a dressmaker in Nashville doing custom dresses and coats and like really, really high end made to measure type stuff. Mm. Um, unfortunately that did not last. Uh, we learned that we do not work well together. She just, she's from a different culture and we kind of clashed in that way. I require mm. someone to tell me what I'm doing right or mm -hmm. I don't function very well. And she just really didn't come from a culture where you pass out compliments very much. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit of like a culture clash in that since and we mutually agreed that it was better if we just like didn't work together anymore um so yeah and then after that like just weirdly I've like kind of fallen into like sewing for money in some shape fashion or form I've like run some blogs for some pattern companies uh I started teaching I think in like 2013 or 2014 um, I worked for Elizabeth Suzanne here in Nashville as a production seamstress for a few years. I was actually one of the first, like she hired two production seamstresses and I was one of them. It was me wow. and another woman. And now she's got like 50 employees or something. It's crazy. Um, I've also done, what else? I've worked for a craft store, Craft South in Nashville for a few years, um, teaching classes, running classes, like coordinating classes. And then, a couple years ago, I got uh, brought in a coworker recommended me to a talent agent here in Nashville for onset alterations for like music videos and photo shoots and um, the whatever. I don't remember what the term is, but it's basically like the, the clothes that the stylist puts together for a band to wear on their like tour. Hmm. So like things they'll wear on stage or what they wear for like radio interviews or like impromptu photo shoots and like a lot of that stuff has ended up on the cover of albums and singles and stuff. And so I'm the one who like goes in behind the stylist and makes sure that their sleeves are the right length or mm -hmm. that their pants are tight enough. Cause the guys really like wearing tight pants right now. Um, so yeah, just like a bunch of really random stuff. Uh, it's worked out real great so far though. I, I like it. It's fun. Yeah. So you've done, you've managed to create a career out of, making and out of sewing over a long period of time. And in this podcast, we're talking about making do. Um, so making the most out of limited resources. Where do you see that ethos in your work? 
definitely something that I think about regularly. So the other thing I should mention, in addition mm-hmm. to my parents having that whole um, makers or creative background and like love for the arts in various forms, is they were also small business owners. Uh, mm-hmm. My dad's been an entrepreneur for the most most part of his life. I mean, he was a freelance photographer for a long time, and then he worked for a newspaper for a while, and then he became like a business owner selling mobile homes. And he had like an insurance company where he sold like homeowners insurance. And then he also had this company where he sold like mobile home parts for the mobile homes that he sold. And then he had another company where he did this other thing. And so I just grew up watching my parents kind of pivot every time they needed to. Yeah. And one, uh, one really, really valuable thing that I've learned is like, is as an entrepreneur, you kind of, can't depend on one stream of income. It's really important to have multiple streams coming from different directions because if one dries up, then you're not like ruined Mm -hmm. basically. So, uh, and my dad is one of those people that, um, he just, he's just kind of like try it and see what happens. Like one time I had to replace the windshield wiper motor in my truck. And I don't know if you've ever had to do that, but it's really expensive. It was like Mm. three or $400 quoted at me at the shop. And the part itself was really cheap. It was like a hundred bucks. But then if you mail them the broken one, then they can rebuild it. And so they'll refund you like 90% of the price. So it ends up costing 10 bucks, but it's a really labor intensive thing to do. You have to take apart like half the front end of the car. And my dad was like, Oh, we can do it. Just bring it to my house. So, I watched some YouTube videos and then I came over and he just like starts prying the car apart. And I'm like, so do you know what you're doing? He's like, no, not really. I was like, do you have a list of instructions? He's like, nah, we're just going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And he did. I mean, mm-hmm. he, like, fixed it and put it all back together. And like I had working windshield wipers for the rest of the time that I had that truck until I sold mm-hmm. it. Um, and so it's just kind of like watching my dad like not be afraid to fail. That's stuff right. like he would take people into as a small business owner, he would take them into like, you know, small business court if like they owed him money and he would represent himself as a instead of hiring an attorney. And it was like, fine, like he uh-huh. just figured it out. So just kind of watching him be OK has made it kind of made me more open to I guess I just don't have that like fear that mm-hmm. a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then kind of zooming forward to recent times, how has coronavirus affected you and your work? Oh, man. So I was scheduled to do two workshops a month for the entire year. Wow. Um, Yeah, it's about half my income. Mm. Um, So it's not all of it because, again, multiple revenue streams, very important. But I'm, I'm, I'm literally taking a, a 50% cut in my income right now because obviously we can't run workshops in this state with coronavirus. And specifically, the two that I've canceled this month so far were in San Francisco Bay Area, which mm-hmm. is on lockdown, and New York City, which is on lockdown. So like, even if I wanted to try to go up there and do them, like I literally, the, the city's on lockdown. Um So that's been kind of like, it took me a few days to mentally come to terms with that and to mentally come to terms with the fact that there's a very good chance that I will continue canceling workshops until like June this year. Right. It's it's very, I mean, it could be, it could be autumn this year. I could literally not run any workshops for the entire year if this continues. And uh, that was a really hard thing to think my way through and be like, oh, well, that's kind of a bummer. I really wasn't 
really wasn't expecting that to happen. And this is after like, I had just quit my job at the craft store. I worked for the craft South for four years, I think. And I decided at the end of last year that I had kind of outgrown that role and that I wanted to proceed forward as like a, just being solely working for myself kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And so the timing is kind of shitty too, right? Because I'm like, oh my God, I just quit this job. But honestly, like, I don't think they're paying, like, I don't think anyone's getting paid at that craft store right now, you know? Right, right. they had to shut down too. Yeah, it's affecting everybody. Yeah, it's been a really interesting lesson and like, just a reminder, like, you can't control anything. Like, my biggest fear at the beginning of the year was like, well, oh, what if people don't sign up for these workshops? Mm-hmm. Oh, they signed up, but the universe mm-hmm. canceled them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you just kind of have to, I mean, I've, I learned a few years ago, I went on this like spiritual retreat and did all this stuff. And one of the big takeaways that I got is that it's, it's completely useless to stress over something that you have no control over. And so I know that's easier said mm. than done, but it's something that's kind of guided me. And, and like, I don't have any control over the workshops getting canceled. So I'm not going to stress about it, but I'm trying to find other ways to make up for that loss in my life, uh, both financially and also socially. I mean, it was like a big part of my social life teaching. Right. When you kind of, it took you a couple of days to come to terms with it. When you kind of came to terms that the workshops were going to be canceled, they might be canceled for a while. Did you tell, tell me more about how you felt and was your reaction panic or to feel anxious or did you immediately jump into action mode? Uh, I mean, I'm always thinking in the back of my head, like a couple steps forward. And mm. since I quit the job at Craft South, I've been trying to figure out a way to make that income in a different realm. And I've kind of like spun in my head some ideas, but nothing is really like jumped out or come to fruition yet. And so the idea for what I'm doing now actually happened on looking at my calendar Sunday, the 15th. I had turned my phone off. I was having like a solo Lauren night. And when I turned it back on, that's like basically when the shit hit the fan and mm. they like declared national emergency and all this stuff. And my phone was blowing up. We had this whole group chat with my family and my brother's like sending us like constant updates. Like, Oh, this is a lot of shit down. Um, and I was like, Oh, you know what? I bet I'm going to have a workshop canceled here pretty soon. And this is going to become a domino effect. And we don't know when that's going to stop and any of that. And my sister-in-law actually suggested, she's like, well, why can't you just do the, like, People had told me they said maybe you should just do the workshops remotely. Unfortunately, logistically, I haven't figured out a way to wrap my head around that yet because there's so many different variables when you're dealing with multiple people. Hmm. And I don't know if I can control a class of multiple people if I'm not actually in the classroom with them. If they're like sewing along, if, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, So I think like a multi thing would be more like a lecture kind of thing. And I don't know if people are going to pay for a lecture. And then the other thing too is like, I'm thinking more in lines of myself and like, I have to watch my income. So my automatic assumption is everybody has to watch their income. Nobody has money. We've all lost our jobs. The world Mm -hmm. has ended. And my sister-in-law was like, you know, maybe you should just do them one-on-one and just do private lessons. She said, your brother and I haven't lost any income at all. There are lots of people like us that are like unaffected financially that are going to be bored at home, like sitting ducks wanting something to do. 
And so what you decided on was virtual private sewing lessons. Yes. So what's the, can you give kind of an overview of what the structure is there? Yeah. So it took me, a, it took me about three days, I think, to figure this out in my head yeah. um, to try to make the, try to make the whole like sign up process seamless. Cause I feel like, I don't know about everyone else, but I know me, if it's, if it's hard for me to pay for something, I'll just like turn it off and walk away yeah. from it. Yeah. So, and you made it so easy. Yeah. Yeah. So I like had to figure that out and then figure out like logistically how these were going to work and um, what to charge and my availability and all that stuff. So I spent some time, but so what I, what I figured out, I don't have a really fancy website and I know you can do shopping carts and stuff, but I didn't know if this was going to make any money. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to pour a lot of resources into something that could be like not beneficial. So I just made little PayPal buttons and slapped them on my website, which yep. took way longer to figure out than I'm comfortable admitting. It took <laughs> multiple hours. I felt like an idiot. Um, it's because I have a wordpress.com account and not a wordpress.org and you're really limited with what you can do on a .com versus a .org. Huh, okay. Um, but uh, Google is your friend. And if you Google your question, if you write your question into Google, it will answer it for you, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, so I figured out how to do the buttons. Um, and then I figured out the scheduling thing was another thing. Cause originally I was like, Oh, I'll just have people email me and then we can schedule from there. But my background also, I have a background, you know, working at this craft store, I was their education coordinator. This is literally what I did for work mm -hmm. is I planned, coordinated, scheduled classes, uh, dealt with signups, dealt with refunds, answered student questions and all that stuff. And I knew with our private lessons that we did, it was an email back and forth kind of thing. And it was really frustrating to deal with that, especially when you would be emailing one person and somebody else would take that time slot. And right. I just wanted to eliminate that as much as possible. So I don't even remember how I figured this out. I think actually I talked to um, Jenny Weiss, who runs Workroom Social in New York. She's a really good friend of mine. I, I work with her a lot on these workshops and I do her camps and stuff. And honestly, she's one of the most brilliant women I know. If you can just sit down and talk to her for 20 mm. minutes, it's magical. She's so, so fucking smart. Um, so I was talking to her about it mm. and she suggested using a calendar app and linking it to my calendar which takes out everything. So if I'm traveling, which I mean, obviously I'm not right now, but if I, um, and I'm, I'm pretty good about keeping a, a digital calendar up to date with stuff. So like, you know, I had an appointment with my therapist yesterday. So that time frame was blocked off. Nobody could sign up for a lesson mm -hmm. during that. Um, and then through the, the, I'm using the Calendly app. I think mm -hmm. I just Googled and it was the first one that popped up. It, uh, you can, you can like make different slots. So I have, 30 minute, 60 minute and 90 minute appointments. And then you can limit the hours that people can sign up. You can limit how many can be signed up in a day. Uh, you can like take days off. You can, there's all kind. you can like connect it to different calendars and have it cross. I think it can connect to like up to six calendars. I just had the free one. Cause again, I didn't know if this was going to make any money. Um, so yeah. So after they pay for their lesson, then they get, redirected to that link with the calendar and then they just pick their time slot. And my understanding, maybe you can answer this for me because mm -hmm. you're in a different time yeah. zone. My yeah. understanding is that it shows it in your time zone. Yep. Yeah. So it connects to mine because I'm in central time, but you don't have to do the math and think, okay, so that's an hour behind. It's just, it'll show you like the available hours and you can't yeah. sign up for something that's already been taken. Um, and so 
then we both get emails and then it's the um, lessons are held over Google Hangouts, which was what Jenny suggested to me. What I like about Google Hangouts is that you can use it on both your phone and your laptop or your tablet. So you can switch it back and forth. Um, For me, that was another thing that I had to really wrap my head around logistically is like, I know how to do private lessons in person, but when you're doing it over a video, it's a whole other beast. Yeah. Um, and a laptop is really nice to just, you know, sit and look at someone and chat. But if they're asking you to show them how to do like a blind him, what are you going to like hold it up really close to the camera and be like, and this is it right here. And, mm-hmm. Um, so I can swap it back and forth between my phone and I have these, I have a little gooseneck tripod. I, Occasionally we'll do like little how to videos on Instagram, just like, like a little sewing technique to show people. So I kind of had an idea of like how to position the phone under that, but it's, it's great. The little tripod just clips to your table and you stick your phone in it and then you bend the neck until it goes into wherever you're trying to get it to go. And, um, it's, it's worked great. The only drawback to this over a, in-person private lesson is I don't have literally everything in my sewing room. So Mm -hmm. there are some things I can't do. Like, for example, I had a student, I think yesterday, who asked me to show her how to clean her machine out, like clean the lint and dust out. And um, she had a top-loading bobbin, and all my machines are front-loading bobbins. Mm. So I was able to show her mine, and I was able to talk to her and walk her through it. And she definitely, like, understood what I was saying and got the right information. But I couldn't physically show her because I literally don't have a top-loading bobbin machine. And they clean a little differently than a front-loading bobbin. But that's the only time that's come up. Um, I think my background, too, as a teacher, uh, I'm pretty – I think I'm pretty good at explaining things. So that has – worked in my favor. And the other nice thing about sitting at a laptop and doing these sessions is I am a, I think I've said this enough. I'm like a queen of Googling stuff. Hmm. Google foo is really high. So if people ask me, you know, how do you do this technique? I can show them, but then I can also Google it and then send them a link directly through the chat so that they also have, you know, a link to like a blog post and nine times out of 10, it's like something I've posted. Um, but that's so there's like a bunch of different like ways to because for me personally as a student, I like to take notes and I like to have like reference materials for later. And some people just like need to see it once and some people need to do it. And so I feel like it kind of covers like a variety of how students learn. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you've been able to transition what was working so well in an in-person setting, mostly to the virtual setting. And some things are even better. Yeah. Um, was there anything that you were nervous about whether it's people not signing up or the lessons themselves not working or anything else that you were nervous about when you decided to offer these? Oh my God, all of it. I was nervous about all of it. I thought nobody would sign up because again, I thought nobody had money Um, Mm -hmm. or that they didn't care. And I'm like, what's the value in a private lesson? Like, because I don't know, I'm not my customer, you know, we're not always our customer. Um, So I was nervous about that. I was nervous about, trying the video thing like in my head it makes sense um and I'm really I tend to think things through a lot I 
I can act really what seems kind of irrationally and abruptly, but I'm usually rolling it around in my head for a while, like trying to figure out the pros and cons and like how something works before I get into it. So it seems irrational, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And like in my head, logistically, what I thought with like swapping back and forth between the computer and the phone and using the gooseneck tripod, I was like, this all makes sense. Like, I think this will work, but I haven't tested it yet. I even like went into went in and like signed up for my own lesson so that I can make sure all the links worked and the Calendly thing and all that stuff yeah. before I like made it public. Smart. Um, Cause I didn't want to have to field a bunch of emails from people being like, why doesn't this work? Yeah. Like, oh God, I've ruined everything. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I was also nervous too of like, what if someone asks me something that like, I can't help them with? Like I don't, right. How, like, for example, the number one thing that people are signing up for is they want help with fitting. Mm. And honestly, like, for me to fit, the best way to do it is to, to just try it and see what happens. And there's a lot of like grabbing and pinching and pinning things out and sewing random seams and taking your pants off and putting them back on over and over again. Um, so I wasn't sure how that would translate over a video, but in some ways it almost, almost works a little better because instead of me doing it to them, they have to do it to themselves, which I know is kind of like a bummer, but it's also like, you're going to have to do it to yourself all the time. So you might as well like start now, I guess. I mean, that's how I fit. I have to do it on myself. I don't have somebody crouching in front of me. I wish I did. Uh, But uh, so that's work. That's actually like worked out really well. And then the other thing about fitting is just, working your way through the process, like reading books and Googling and talking to people. And so a lot of my shorter lessons just end up being more like consultation type lessons where we just talk for a while. And I've gotten really, really good feedback from students about that because I think it's less about getting the immediate answer right then and more about learning how to get to that answer on your own accord Mm. because it's like teaching a man how to fish you know if I just give you the answer which I'm gonna do anyway Mm -hmm. um then that answers that but if I also show you how to like create your thought process to get to that answer then that's gonna help you in the future not even just with sewing but like life in general like problem solving is a great skill to have Did you have kind of a a goal or a benchmark for how you wanted the lessons to go, whether it was a certain number of people signing up or or any other kind of, okay, this will be a success if kind of thing? Honestly, my biggest thing was that I just wanted some social interaction. Yeah. I live alone. (laughs) Yeah. I'm in isolation. I thought if I could even get like a couple people a week to talk Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah then I would be happy. Um, yep. And it's, it's done really well. It's, it's done it's way done, better than that. Yeah. It's done much better than I expected. Yes. Do you, what have you, have you learned anything about price or schedule or format or what people are allowed to ask that you're planning to change in coming weeks? So I definitely need to change my price. I am, I have been aware of that since I started the lessons. It's about, less than what I typically charge as a private instructor. Um, But I knew that this was still something that I was trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want my students to be guinea pigs while also paying full price. That just seemed really unfair to me because I wasn't sure like if they sign up for a 30 minute lesson and we spend 20 minutes figuring out the logistics of things like that sucks. I don't want to penalize people for that. 
Right. Um, and I'd rather make a little bit of money than no money at all. So I purposefully made the lessons what I felt was inexpensive, but still like enough to make it worth my while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, I haven't decided when I'm going to change. I know I need to change the price at some point because it is, it is much lower than what I typically make. But right now I've been, I've been talking to some people about it and getting advice. And, uh, I was originally going to change it at the end of the month, but I think I'm going to wait either until the mandatory like quarantine is ending or we start getting like stimulus money if that comes in, because that's the other hmm. thing too. Like, oh, interesting. People don't have money right now. Some people do, but it just, I don't, I don't know. There feels something weird to me about like trying to profit off of like a disaster. So I'm trying to be mindful of that mm-hmm. too. And I don't want to like only be able to serve people who like a small percentage of the population whose income hasn't been affected at all. I want this right. to be an opportunity for a lot of people to like be able to sign up for. And my hope is that uh, if I, you know, doing it enough, we're going to get more comfortable. It's going to become more of a streamlined effort and then people will talk about it. And then when we all have money again and I change my rates and business will continue as usual, like yeah, that's that kind of what I'm hoping for. Sure. Um, but it's, yeah. So I'm imagining probably like, First or second week of April, I might look into it about bringing the price up. I have had to adjust my schedule a couple of times because I've just learned, like, I originally, I think they were just too early. And okay. sometimes I don't work that well that early in the morning. So now they start at 11 instead of 10. Uh, I did give myself one mandatory day off, and I think I'm going to add a second mandatory day off just because, like, I my brain needs a break sometimes. Mm-hmm. But originally, I kept the schedule super open because I also wanted to be mindful of all the people that are not in the United States, you know. Um, when you're dealing with a whole other continent and they're in such a com- vastly different time zone, it's you got to you can't just be available from, like, 12 to 2, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, I'm kind of just tweaking it and keeping an eye on it. But right now, I mean, like the world is in the shitter and everything sucks. And so I'm available and open and it's inexpensive because. Why yeah. Not? <laughs> how did you settle? How did you settle on the price that you chose? Uh, I really, let me think. I don't remember how I came to it. It, it just felt right. Like I, the number just, it it felt like a, it felt like a reasonable number. Yeah. That really doesn't help. Does it? Yeah. That makes sense. You kind of started, it sounds like you started at your usual rate and then you brought it down to where you felt like, Oh yeah, this is very accessible for everybody. It's basically the rate that I'm charging, uh, which is $30 an hour. That is pretty much the lowest that I will work for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of. So to make it as cheap as you could, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That because anything less than that, like not to sound like really like bougie, but it's not worth my time if it's mm-hmm. less than that. Um, because I still have other work. You know, right. I'm I'm a personal assistant, so I'm still doing that work. Um, I've got some like kind of gig stuff lined up here, and then I'm hoping eventually, when the world stops ending, that my seamstress and alterations stuff will pick back up award shows will pick back up I'll be able to do my workshops again but at this point it was like I knew I needed to keep the price low but I didn't want it to be so low that I I was like really hurting myself because then like 
you know, that's like setting yourself on fire to keep someone else warm. So I didn't want to get into that territory either. Yeah. Do you, I I would say, I mean, just to, this is, I think going to be so helpful for people and just to wrap up thinking about other makers or business owners who have seen their income sources shift or disappear, what would you recommend to them? At this time or just in general? Either. Yeah. So this doesn't help people now, but in general, if you're like a solo entrepreneur, especially if you're a solo entrepreneur who like lives alone, like I don't have someone picking up the slack for me if, if right. like I don't make money this month. Um, it's so important to have multiple streams of income and savings. Mm-hmm. I have a really healthy savings account and I'm trying not to use it because I don't know what the economy is going to be like. And like I own a house, so I need to keep money aside for like repairs and stuff like that. But that's part of the reason why I wasn't freaking out as bad as some people were is like, I'm like, well, you know, I can like float for like a year on the savings mm-hmm. that I have, um, which I understand is definitely not an option for everyone. But the I think what helped me the most starting out, like when I when I quit my job in advertising and I went to go work for the dressmaker originally, I didn't do that until I paid off all the debt that I had. And mm-hmm. then it was easier for me to save money and like start putting stuff aside uh, because I wasn't funneling money into into this like debt and just for like all it's uh, to be like totally transparent about that. The debt that I had, I spent an entire year paying it off. It was over a third of my income and I literally didn't spend money on anything except bills and debt for an entire year. It sucked. It sucked so bad. And it was all credit card debt. It was like stupid, like cigarettes and booze. And like, I, I would deserve new shoes for some reason. It wasn't even like cool debt, like a nice car or like student loans or something. Um, So, and I know that doesn't really help people now, but my advice for now, I guess would be just, you have to, you have to just think, try to fill a niche, try to think of ways that you can pivot and expand that maybe other people are doing. And and if they are, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have competition. I mean, if other people offer sewing lessons online, like I don't really think that's going to necessarily affect me because most of my students are signing up because it's me, not because it's mm-hmm. a private sewing lesson. So you just have to be like the best at, at your own, whatever you're doing and just work off of that. Um, and try a lot of things. Like I, at this point I wouldn't say no to anything to yeah. bring in extra income right now. I mean, I'm like, fine, I can pay my bills and like, I'm doing okay. But again, I have just always like thinking forward in a hundred different directions. And one of them is like, what happens if you stop making money? Yeah. So yeah. I'm always just mindful of that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's great advice. And I am so inspired by what you've done with sewing lessons. And across your work, you've been so creative and innovative for a long time with your making and your sewing. Um, so thank you so, so much for sharing your experience and your insight and your wisdom. So honestly, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for chatting with me. This was really Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Thanks, Lauren. Okay. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. That's it for today's episode. You can find the podcast, get in touch with me and find full show notes at makingdopodcast.com and makingdopodcast on Instagram.
If you like the podcast and want to help, you can support us by reviewing it on iTunes. And if you have a story of how you are making do as a maker right now, leave us a voicemail or send us a text with your story anonymously or with your name to 845-202-0059. Thank you so much to Lauren and thank you to all of you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode.